Hello, 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 Cheesehead Hangover Packer Nation. Merry Christmas! And a Happy New Year. And of course, everybody got what they wanted for Christmas. They got a Packers win over the Vikings under the tree and an NFC North Championship in the bag. And Zadarius Smith got his t-shirt and his hat. So he got what he wanted for Christmas. So I hope all of you out there got what you wanted as well. Uh, Sarah and I are in Wisconsin drinking Spotted Cow. Got to go to the Packers and Vikings game. So we got what we wanted as well. So cheers to that. Um, so to start today, I, I wanted to go back to our, our youth. Let's go back to Sesame Street, even. Wow, this is a, this is quite a ways back. Hopefully, we can get back to the present before the end of this episode. We will, we will. Uh, so, one of the beloved segments on Sesame Street was the word of the day. So, today's word of the day for a cheesehead hangover nation is jeered. Okay. Jeered. It, the definition of jeered is. Make rude and mocking remarks, typically in a loud voice. And Aaron Rodgers in his uh, post-game press conference uh, mentioned that the last time that he was really in the Vikings stadium, he kind of got jeered off of the football field when he got hit by Anthony Barr and had the injury and suffered through a little bit. So... He was quite happy to win the NFC North in that stadium. And as a Packer fan, I was quite happy for him as well. So that is your word for the day, people. Jeered. <laughs> Feel free to use it in a sentence if you want. Uh, so with that, a uh, couple other bits of news before we go into talking about this Packers and Vikings game. Uh, Brett Favre was recently named to the NFL 100 team as one of the, I believe, 10 quarterbacks uh, to make it to the team. Uh, and, of course, great honor. Didn't see Bart Starr or Aaron Rodgers on there. but All, They were both finalists for, for the team. However, yep. neither of them made it. Only Favre did. And actually, it is worth worth a chance if you if you have some time to kill to, to catch the clips of um, Favre, Belichick, Collinsworth, all kind of talking about um, they they spent a good chunk of time talking about, of course, the probably most memorable game of Farr's career, the win over the nearly perfect game over Oakland after his father passed away with four touchdown passes, who knows how many hundreds of yards, I forget. Um, they spent a good amount of time talking about that and what that meant and kind of what it was at the time. But then they also just spend a good amount of time just, just kind of shooting the shit. And so having, <laughs> you know, a, one of the best quarterbacks to play the game and one of the best coaches in the game um, to just be sitting down and talking about football is a pretty cool thing to listen to. It's about 10 minutes long. It's definitely worth your time. Mm. Um, all, all congratulations to Favre. Absolutely, absolutely earns it. And I, you know, I think Bart Starr is, um, he was a great captain, but I don't know that he had the skills really to, to get to that, you know, final 10 level. And honestly, I think Aaron Rodgers probably would have gotten there if he, if, you know, if we he had were, another Super we were, Bowl or if we were, well, if, even if we were 20 years from today, yeah. um, I think that's kind of the difference right now between Favre and Rodgers. Rodgers is still playing. He's still accruing stats. He's still, yeah. it's not a complete story. Um, whereas for Favre, it's complete now he's retired. He's in the hall of fame. 
um, first ballot as he should have been. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's mm. the difference. I think when we get to the 200th season of the NFL, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron supplants Barf yeah, on the team, on for the 200 sure. year team. And of course, it's always <laughs> tough when players are still active. The only modern day quarterbacks to make it are Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, which well deserved. I uh, also thought one interesting Peyton thing. Peyton is also retired. Now. Exactly. But modern day recent guy. Um, one of the interesting things, uh, I thought when they were talking Belichick and Favre, uh, was Belichick talked about Brett Favre was an impossible quarterback to game plan for. And I think that goes back to just his nature as a gunslinger. You never, you never knew what he was going to do. His coaches didn't even know what he we was going to do. We didn't know what he was going to do. He might've thrown five touchdown passes or he could have thrown two or three interceptions. You never knew. Yeah. So it really was impossible to game plan for him. It really was. And I, I really enjoyed um, Belichick's comments um, pointing out that he had passed on Favre twice. And <laughs> um, you kind of forget about those things in, in hindsight. And then the other thing I really thought was funny is Favre definitely owned up to his uh, erratic style of playing and, and on a playoff game where he had four interceptions. Um, not so much jokingly, although it sounds like it uh, in hindsight told the coach to put him back in. He's two away from the record. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, um, I really also appreciate Chris Collinsworth comment in that interview about how, you know, if all of the money went away, there are very few NFL players that would still play the game. And Favre is, was definitely one of the few that no matter what he was going to play. And it, you know, he got the money, he got the accolades, he got a ring, he mm. got a lot of things. But at the end of the day, for him, it really was all about the love of the game. For sure. And that's, you know, how much there, I don't, I think most of the players love the game, but if there wasn't any money involved, if there wasn't accolades, if there wasn't all that, you know, I don't know that they would do what they do. If we were playing football back in the, the early aughts of the NFL in the 1920s and 30s, it was a much different game. Yeah. Yep. Um, so one other bit of Packers news, uh, we're recording this Saturday morning, so we're getting you some content right before the games on Sunday, uh, but Rob Domofsky of ESPN announced that the Packers had signed backup guard and center Lucas Patrick to a contract extension. Uh, Patrick is a former undrafted free agent, originally joined the Packers as a tryout player in rookie minicamp in 2016 and has made it all the way to getting a contract extension. And I mean, it's always great to talk about the depth when you have it in the trenches. And that's, that's kind of a key hallmark of this Packers team compared to last year. Last year, we didn't really have a ton of depth on offensive or defensive line. But this year, we can see with the likes of uh, Elton Jenkins coming in when uh, Lane, Lane Taylor. Taylor got injured early in the season, and then Lucas Patrick being able to hop in here and there when Brian Balaga maybe had to go out for a few series or other players need time off. It's good to see that uh, we're six, seven, eight deep on the offensive line, and same could be said of defensive line. Yeah, and I mean, especially on the offensive line, what I really appreciate about our depth there is the fact that um, so many of our offensive linemen, you know, they can they can they can move around. They take more than one. They can play more than one position on the line, and that flexibility I think really helps just to to um, really enrich that depth that we have. And yeah. so it's great to see Lucas that Lucas Patrick will be sticking around. Um, we're glad to have you, and um, although. 
it's always a little nicer when you're on the, on the sideline because we know no one's injured. <laughs> exactly. So with that, let's let's get into this Packers Vikings game. Uh, we we will have a little bit more of an interesting uh, conversation here because we were both at the game uh, in uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, which I it, it was interesting. It was a it was a louder stadium than I thought. It it. It was about as loud as I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk up about how loud it is. What I found kind of interesting about the noise in U.S. Bank is the amount of noise that is artificially created yep. to get the fans to make noise. I feel like um, at games I've been at at Lambeau Field, also been at a couple games at FedEx Field, given our our residence in Washington, D.C. It's just convenient to see the Packers when they come out east. Um, in those, in FedEx Field, Lambeau Field, other stadiums I've been in, I feel like so much of the noise is prompted by signs and things and the scoreboard and everything else. Um, but it isn't pumped in. Mm -hmm. It isn't created over speakers. Mm -hmm. And that was something I found that took me by surprise at US Bank was that so much of the noise was initially kicked off over the speakers and the Mm -hmm. sound system. Um, and then the fans would jump in after. And mm. I just felt, found that a little either with, you know, the horns or with music or with even with, you know, like clapping sounds like, you know, good old skull. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to put skull up on the you know screens and have everyone start. But it's a whole different thing to start the clapping for the fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought the same thing, especially with the the music being pumped in and you don't really realize it until you're in a stadium in person, how many speakers each stadium has when, cause you never get a shot of the roof for us bank. You could, when you're there in person, you can stand in there and you can look up and you see like eight to 10 really big banks of big speakers, industrial sized speakers hanging above uh, the field. And then you realize when you're there for a while, Oh, they're, pumping in we will we will rock you they'll be pumping in uh music behind their skull chants they'll be doing all these different types of things and from a production fan experience side of it it's cool but then from the player side of it it's kind of like oh this is this feels kind of like fake noise coming in how they're building their own advantage. They're not relying on their fans to build their advantage. Yeah, I will say that the stadium is beautifully designed for acoustics, for visual, for fan experience. I don't know that I've had a more comfortable seat at a mm. game. Um, usually you feel kind of, no matter what venue you're in, you feel a little bit like you're packed in like sardines. But I felt mm. I had a little room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I really um, found surprising about the stadium, though, was its size. Um, U.S. Bank Stadium only has a seating capacity for 66,860 individuals, chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have some standing room only. And so uh, Monday night's game set their attendance record. I think they 68, 69,000, yep. somewhere, somewhere yep. in there. Right on the right about 67, almost 68,000 fans were at the game. So definitely a sellout. Um, and for Packers fans out there, I would say roughly about a quarter to a third of the audience was Packer fans. And hopefully, if you were watching on TV, you could hear some Go Pack Goes uh, trickle in when the Packers were doing well. Um, obviously, with how the game went, 
you heard a lot more of that in the second half as opposed to the first half, uh, which maybe we can get started talking about here. Um, what, what a game. What a game, <laughs> yeah. Um, not how you would necessarily script it up. Uh, talking a little bit of, uh, we can probably start with the Packers offense uh, against the Vikings defense, and the first place you really got to start is the turnovers. We were not great in the turnover margin in this game. We had a uh, pick, a couple fumbles lost in the first half, down minus three in the turnover margin going into half. But ultimately, it was only a nine to ten game going into half. And I mean, like, it really ended up being a game of two halves when it comes to turnovers and, I mean, the offense for that matter. Um, and I think the thing about the turnovers is they all seem like flukes because they come from unusual players Aaron Rodgers throwing a pick that does not happen every day mm -hmm. this is like his third of the season yep um Aaron Jones fumbling mm -hmm. um Devontae Adams fumbling for both of those it was only like their third or fourth in their entire careers as Packers these are things that do not happen they're fluke things like yes you know is it I think all in all if there was a, to happen I'm really glad it happened this week because now it's that reminder, it's that, you know, little extra push to practice those, you know, high and tight, five points of contact, ball security, you know, fundamentals. Um, and you know what? It's way better to do it this week than to do it two or three weeks from now. Yep. Get that case of the dropsies out of the way. Um, and they did so in the first half. And then in the second half is really where you saw all of those players come on. Uh, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams both ended the day quite well. Jones with 23 carries for 154 yards and two touchdowns. And then Devontae Adams ending the day with 13 catches for 116 yards. Yeah, absolutely. They just, you know, and I think that was the thing is that every single, all three of them, bounced back but they bounced back in Aaron way in different ways and I really appreciated how Aaron Rodgers talked about it and I think it was his interview from Thursday um he he talked about that he actually was really proud of the game that he put together like yes he had the pick yes his completion percentage wasn't as great as it could be um yes he missed a few you know big passes um and different things down the field but he the thing that he was proud of was how he managed the game, the checks, the, you know, switching, you know, to different options, whether it's a pass play switching to the run or, you know, taking an option from, um, they ran a lot of plays with both uh, Tyler Irwin and Aaron Jones, where he would switch between them after Jamal Williams went out and having in the way he managed those checks to put the Packers into the position they got into in the second half um, really, you know, it, it's. I feel like it's kind of like what we've talked about with the receivers. There's more to the position than what shows up on the stat line. And you don't need to have the stats to have had a great game mm -hmm. um, because there's all the things that you do that don't show up, whether it's, you know, making the checks, calling the plays right, um, blocking for the receivers. And I think that's what this Packers team is really starting to do well is all those things that you don't really count. Yeah, certainly. And I think... Overall, when you look at this game, the score could have been much different if the Packers were a little bit more sound on the turnovers on the offensive side of the ball. It or very if they well, had just finished out a couple of their drives in the first half. Yeah, if I mean, they, that could have if added they eight convert, more points. If they converted those three field goals into touchdowns. Even a couple um, of them. 
certainly could have improved things. Uh, so, but I think we saw really what is the right mix for this team. It's getting Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers all equally involved. Uh, but we also saw some interesting developments on particularly third down, where you had a guy like Alan Lazard, who had five catches for 45 yards, but three of those catches were key third down conversions where he was getting close coverage, was working across the middle of the field, but used his size and his strength uh, to beat out guys and be able to convert on those third downs. Um, so certainly Lazard has shown he is that a third down threat type of receiver and a guy that will continue continue to be involved in this Packers offensive attack leading down the playoff stretch. Mm-hmm. And you know it's it, it you know timing is almost as much of a a thing about when they make the play as as just making the play and you know if he only catches balls on third down for first down conversions, I'm kind of okay with that. Um, and you know, there were there were some other big catches in the game too that that came out. But um, yeah, it was a, it's an interesting performance, and it's not the type of performance we're used to seeing from the Green Bay offense. But I feel like that's okay to to you know have almost have such a balance between uh, 216 passing yards to 184 rushing yards. I feel like, you know, especially this time of year, and if the road to the road to the Super Bowl goes through Lambeau, those cold January games, you don't know, you don't necessarily want to be relying on the pass too much when in that type of weather because of you know just all the conditions that go into it. Uh, you really want to like this is the type of formula that will work outside in the cold, um, where we're hoping to see at least a couple more games. Yeah, and then certainly on offense, you also have to mention uh, just the disparity between how much the Packers and the Vikings had the ball on offense. Uh, the Packers ran over 70 plays, uh, 32 runs to 40 passes. Uh, Aaron Jones, uh, once Jamal Williams went out for an injury, uh, Jamal Williams will also not be playing this next week. They decided and announced to, uh, that they would hold him back this past Friday. Uh, and you kind of saw Jones be able to take the bell cow role. Part of that, many kudos to uh, balance so far throughout the year with Jones and Williams having uh, a lot of carries each. So it really allows Jones to be more of a bell cow back down the playoff road. Um, but back to sort of the overall time of possession, the Packers had the ball for 37 minutes out of the 60 minutes and the Vikings only had it for 22 they had and, it for 37 and a half minutes. Yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the Vikings had for 22 and a half minutes. Uh, but uh, with that, uh, David Bakhtiari even talked about it. He, This is the game he was most exhausted after through the, the course of this year. And he kept telling himself, uh, if I'm exhausted, they're exhausted. And I think it really goes to pressuring the Vikings on their strong points of their game, uh, which is the running game, but Dalvin Cook being out, that's a little bit less. But then it's that Vikings defense, and we really did put pressure on them to play every snap, be on the field a long time, and that showed to wear them down towards the end of the game with the big Aaron Jones run uh, that sealed the game for the Packers. Yeah, and I mean, I think the... um... 
I mean, the time of possession, I think, is also part of what allowed the Packers' defense to stay as dominant through all four quarters as they did. So many times this year, the offense has not been able to sustain drives and take that time. You know, there, there's the game clock time, but also just the like time, like the the real time going on, you know, underneath that game time and having, you know, 10, 15 minutes to catch your breath, get rehydrated and get ready to go again is a big deal when opposed to having only like five minutes if they go three, five minutes or less if they go three or out, three and out. Um, and so I think this time of possession thing really allowed our defense to stay fresh. And you saw the results of that in this game. There were four solid quarters of pressuring the quarterback, holding the Vikings to 139 total yards, basically a third of what the Packers had almost, and keeping them to seven first downs opposed to, you know, Green Bay's 22. Um, and that's, you know, that's just huge to keep your entire defense fresh like that. Um, it allows for the pressures, tackles for loss, sacks, and the Kevin King interception. Exactly. So with that, uh, let's transition and talk a little bit about this Packers defensive performance. And this was one of their best four-quarter defensive performances of the year. Absolutely. Um, hands down. Uh, like you mentioned, holding the Vikings to only under 140 yards, 10 points, uh, is all great and well. Um, and but I mean, really, the only reason they got those 10 points are because of the turnovers. Um, it, when you have, when you are getting the ball on your, like, within your opponent's 40. In your opponent's red zone. Or in your opponent's red zone. How do you not walk away with points is really the question. And um, We've yeah. kept them to field goals instead of touchdowns in those situations. And then that's it. You know, when they were inside the red zone, kept them to a field goal. They really only had the one touchdown. And on the third turnover, they were able to hold them and not let them have anything, which is incredibly huge um, to, to negate the potential effect of those turnovers. I mean, in another game, three turnovers can easily be 21 points instead of 10. Yeah, certainly. And another big thing was the consistent pressure that the Packers were able to get on Kirk Cousins. Uh, Zadarius Smith is cementing himself as an all-pro defensive player of the year candidate. He had seven tackles, three and a half sacks, five and a half tackles for loss, and five quarterback hits. Absolutely dominant game for him beating up on the off the Vikings offensive line, which was the worst unit on the football field in that game. Oh, absolutely. And the thing of it is, is like there have been times this year that that line has done an impeccable job. It just wasn't this week. It just wasn't this week. And then of course, uh, Mr. December, Kenny Clark continued to uh, perform well in his favorite month of the year, getting another sack, getting a tackle for loss, getting a pass defense even, knocking down a ball at the line of scrimmage, and a quarterback hit. Um, and he was doing great. The whole team was doing great. Uh, Dean Lowry, Kyro, Kyler Fackrell, and Tyler Lancaster had a pretty solid day, uh, along with Clark in stuffing the run. Uh, throughout the most part of the game. Really, the Vikings are a run team, and they had only 16 carries for uh, 57 yards and a 3.6 average. Um, and you really stopped that part of their offense and really never allowed it to get going. Uh, putting the ball into Kirk Cousins' hands, 
He did have one great throw to Stefan Diggs over a tightly uh, protected pass coverage. But overall, this game turned into a lot of the Packers pass rushers getting home, getting hits on the quarterback, forcing quick decisions, and not letting any big plays really happen throughout the game. Yeah, I mean, they just played lights out. And, you know, it's great to see Z vault ahead and um, kind of the sack count. And, um, you know, but just this duo of the Smith brothers is really phenomenal. To have 25 and a half sacks is huge. Um, it sets a record for a Packers duo beating Reggie White and I forget who he was who the second person was then I think in 93 who had 23 sacks, they still have a game to go. Um, these guys are just racking it up and it's great. You know, there's been a lot of talk about how this week about how, you know, Zadaria Smith did this basically against every single offensive lineman on the Vikings squad. Um, it doesn't matter where you line him up. And as you line him up in different places, the opportunities that that creates, from other players, whether it's Preston, Kenny, you know, or Sean Gary, I think we saw a couple of weeks ago getting a sack because of that. Um, it just, it allows, you know, a, a deeper rotation on that front, but then it also allows just more, just more opportunities and, and, you know, tricks to kind of spell an offense and, and really test them as um, you have very talented players all coming through and executing. Certainly so. Um, and then, of course, you also have uh, Kevin King uh, getting another interception, and that was marked by a lot of the guys in their post-game post interviews as a moment where things really started to feel like they swung uh, the Packers' way, uh, getting a turnover, stopping what was turning out to be a fairly solid Vikings drive, um, and being able to have a good return and set themselves up in good field position i mean and i think that was just the thing that really impressed me on the the interception i mean it's impressive always to get an interception but then to turn around and return it for what was it like 39 yards Mm -hmm. um is just huge um i mean it literally took the packers from being you know buried within the 10 yard line which you know turning the ball over who cares where you get it on the field you got it back uh but then to bring them out to midfield is just, I mean, starting a drive inside your own 10 versus midfield, like, duh. <laughs> He'll take midfield every single time. Um, and it's his four, It's his fifth on the season, season, tying him for fourth in the lead, league with a whole slew of other um, defensive backs. Certainly so, certainly so. Um, yeah, and I overall, you, you can't really complain about too much with this game in my mind. Um, besides the turnovers. But, of course, even having adversity within one game and then uh, being able to come back and completely just show, like, you're not phased by the adversity, I think is a good growing moment for this team. I felt when they got punched in the mouth early in that San Francisco 49ers game and turned it over on the first possession they had, it kind of caught us off guard. This Vikings game started out the same way. Uh, and you can see this team learned from that game and weren't phased at all, didn't let it bother them, had a quick defensive stop to only allow a field goal on that short field. Uh, and it really 
showed some more metal, I think, and the type of uh, win that you need going into the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, so much about this game showed how this team has grown and, and become more balanced. Um, yes, the turnovers happened on offense, but the fact of the matter is, is the Packers were able to sustain drives in ways that the Vikings didn't and couldn't. Um, and that's, you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, the teams that the Packers have played so far in the month of December, you know, beating the Giants, okay. Beating the Redskins, okay. Like, these are teams at the bottom of their division. They are not, they they were, I think the they had very slim to nearly null playoff hopes when we, we played them and we mathematically eliminated them. We then mathematically eliminated the Bears, who were more of a contender, but still have had a rough season um, with things not going according to plan after going 12-4 and last year and winning the division. So, then we came up against the Vikings, and the Vikings are a true contender. They're going to the playoffs. Yes, they're the sixth seed, but they're going. Um, they're a real deal. And to come into their home turf and have a performance like this, um, I think really, you know, and, and to have that turnaround um, from being negative three in the turnover differential, which, you know, they were against um, one other time the season and one, um, just as a lot about the team and their resilience and resolve and belief in each other, which has been commented on by so many of the players. But on a game like this, you actually see it on the field. Certainly so. And taking a second to just think about the Vikings and where they're at coming out of this game, it's a it's a tough moral loss, and it's also a tough loss that is going to keep them on a much harder path to any sort of success in the playoffs because now they're cemented in the sixth seed, which means that they'll be playing the three seed, which most likely will either be the Saints, the Seahawks, or the 49ers. Or the Packers. Or the Packers. It cannot be the 49ers. Okay. Yes. The 49ers the Saints, the will Seahawks, be one or five. Or the Packers. <laughs> uh, which I'm already like, I want the, I'm projecting in my mind, I'm visualizing the Packers as the one or two seeds, so I'm just keeping them out of the conversation. Uh, but regardless, they're going to have to go into a tough uh, place to play, uh, and they're not going to get to face the Eagles or the Cowboys, which is the more desirable matchup for the wildcard teams. Um, so it's certainly going to be an interesting uh, path for them. It's going to be tough. And they got to go in against Chicago this next week and gain back a little bit of confidence coming into the playoffs. I think so. Being up here in northern Wisconsin, we're getting a lot of Minnesota news, and that's kind of the question they've been asking. But I think if you're Mike Zimmer, you look at your most injured critical players, Dalvin Cook, Madison, Kendricks now, um, you rest them because you will absolutely need them in the playoffs. Um, but then everyone else has to play lights out and there's like, there is no resting anyone. There is, it is just going to be, they need to play balls to the walls because having a performance like they did against the Packers, you cannot go easy this week on your team. You've got to be tough. You've got to get them motivated and they've got to turn around if they want to have a shot at going deep into the sec into the um, postseason. Certainly. So any last things you want to mention with this Packers Vikings matchup? You know, it's exciting to be winning the North, and as their shirts say, the North is not enough. And so let's talk about what's next for this Green Bay Packers team. Sure. So uh, 
They control their own destiny, the Packers do. Uh, the two seed and a first round bye is firmly within grasp. Uh, they only need to win against the Detroit Lions uh, to get the two seed. Uh, but then if they want to get the one seed, they'll have a little bit of help that will be needed and they will have to take care of business against the Detroit Lions as well. So the thing in control is if they win the Lions, win against the Lions, they get a bye and give themselves an opportunity for the one seed. And so let's talk about this Lions team. Exactly. We faced them a long, long time ago mm-hmm. in week, was it week five or week six of the season? Week six. And it was in Lambeau. It was a tough game. It was an ugly game, and but they pulled it off at the last second with a Mason Crosby field goal, 23-22, if memory serves. And um, if that was the other game of the year where they had a negative three in the turnover differential. Yep. Um, a few things have changed. The Packers are now 12 and three having a shot at 13 wins, going to the playoffs, winning the division, getting a home game. The Lions, their season also took a turn. Um, yeah. They lost two quarterbacks, uh, most importantly, Matt, Matt Stafford. Um, they've had a slew of other injuries across the team, and they're in a pretty tough boat at 3-11-1, and, and I am certain – Every player on that team would love nothing more than to hand the Packers a loss to end their season and end on a high note. Certainly so. And when you look at the Lions season, they really did start out with a lot of potential playing tough games. Uh, two, two and one uh, coming off of that Packers game. They very easily could have been three, one and one. And who knows how the season turns differently for them. Uh, but of course, when you think about the Lions, you have to think about Uh, That Matthew Stafford injury really causing a lot of problems for them and then forcing them to have to turn to the likes of uh, Jeff Driscoll and David Bloch. Uh, And really, that's the defining characteristic of the Lions season, Bloch. Um, So with that, going into this uh, matchup, the Packers will have another dome game being in Detroit. Uh, The Green Bay is favored by 12 and a half points. So if you factor in the rough three-point advantage you get for having a home game, people think Green Bay are essentially about a 15-point favorite in this game. Uh, So it's really... Everyone's expecting the Packers to win this game. Uh, Divisional matchups are always tougher, so you have to consider that. Um, I'm really expecting the Packers to win this game. If Matthew Stafford was playing, that'd be a completely different situation. Uh, but him being shut down for the year, that is certainly going to hurt them. Uh, the Lions did just get their running back, uh, on Johnson, back from injured reserve, uh, who came back and healed a fairly significant injury and is wanting to finish out the season on a high note for him individually. And I think he might be one of the guys to watch uh, as this game moves on as a guy who, along with Kenny Galladay, uh, their stud wide receiver who has over 1,100 yards um, and uh, 11 touchdowns. Those are two guys that you got to watch out as far as big plays go and guys who, if you don't get those guys addressed on defense, they could be ones that 
hurt you and make it a much closer game than a lot of people are expecting. Well, and if you look just to this past week, um, you know, you don't need to look any further to the, you know, than one week back to see the Arizona Cardinals upsetting the Seattle Seahawks at home. Um, at Seattle's home, you know, land of the 12th man, like yeah. the huge home field advantage. And Arizona came in there and, and handed it to them. Um, especially if looking at the final score, um, you just never know what's going to happen, um, week to week. And especially when it comes to division games, rivalries, um, and, and there is, you know, there's an extra kind of motivation that comes over these games and causes weird things to happen. Um, and we know the Lions are in a very similar position to the Cardinals out of the playoffs, not a whole lot to play for, um, except for pride and, and showing who you are as players and as individuals. And, in um, especially considering after ugly seasons, a lot of times there's a lot of shuffling of players. So they want to put themselves, be- their best selves out there, and you can be sure they will against the Packers. Certainly so. Um, and if the Lions are really playing for anything, they're playing for draft position. Um, if if they win this game, they're going to get a lower draft position. And if they lose this game, they're pretty much locked in for the third overall pick uh, behind the uh, Cincinnati Bengals and the Washington Redskins. Redskins. Uh, <laughs> uh, so certainly it's it's going to be an interesting matchup, but I certainly expect all of the Packers players to play. Uh, the only one likely not playing is Jamal Williams, who's going to take an extra week to rest up and hopefully have two weeks on uh, rest and being able to come back in what we're hoping fingers crossed, knock on wood, uh, would be after a first round bye. Absolutely. And I think that just makes a ton of sense. And plus, what I really like about that is getting the opportunity to have Tyler Irvin and maybe Dexter Williams um, on the active roster and um, get them in for a few plays. Dexter Williams really hasn't gotten to see a whole lot of playing time. Tyler Irwin has been pretty much confined to special teams since he he showed up, up just a couple weeks back. Um, but he did finally have, I think it was seven snaps on offense against the Vikings. And it wasn't that, I mean, I think he touched the ball once. Yep. He had one, I believe, <laughs> catch, catch for, uh, six yards. for six yards. So, um, but you know, just having two running backs in there creates complications on the play for a defense. You don't know which one's going to get the ball. Are they going to do screens? Are they going to, you know, is one going to get the ball and run it or the other or, it just it makes it a more complicated play for most defenses, and so just that fle- create, adding that flexibility to the offensive play call, um, I think, is a huge addition from Tyler Irwin, even if he doesn't touch the ball. Certainly, so um, I think uh, as we're coming towards the last game of the season, um, it's it's a game worth playing for. Um, it's also something to watch in statistical categories if those are things that interest you. Uh, Aaron Jones is certainly on track. He needs 16 yards to get a thousand yard rushing season. In addition to all of his passing yards. In addition to all of his passing yards, he also has 16 rushing touchdowns currently and three passing touchdowns. So he is on the cusp of a 20 touchdown season 
certainly putting his name in consideration for All-Pro. Uh, Devontae Adams is 96 yards shy of a 1,000-yard season uh after missing four games so certainly impressive for him uh and then also just you know keep an eye on Zadarius Smith maybe cementing himself as uh one of the front runners for defensive player of the year if he has another big game after this last big game uh it's certainly going to be harder for external media out of the state of Wisconsin to uh deny considering him for that honor yeah and um you know I, th- I think that's just it is there there's a lot for these players to play for individually but as well as for the team as a whole um and it would be great to just see you know z and p get a couple more sacks see kenny clark get one more sack and add to his december numbers to see aaron jones get those 16 rushing yards and maybe a rushing touchdown um and Devonte Adams getting a thousand yard season despite missing the number of games he missed due to the turf toe injury. I mean, it really says a lot about these players and um, what's not to love. I mean, there's a lot to watch for in this game. Um, you know, the lions just are so beat up. They have two quarterbacks on IR. They have two of their major, three of their major wide receivers on IR there's who is supposed to be their star tight end is on IR. Their linemen, they have two on our IR. Their defensive side of the ball is littered with IR. Like, oh gosh. Like there's like hardly anyone left on this team, it feels like. Um, but there's just there's still so much more for the Packers to play for. Um, even the Lions kicker is sick and might not play on Sunday. Like <laughs> Um, but that doesn't change the fact that there's so much for the Packers to play for, for, you know, individually, which I think is what I, we as fans will be watching for, but as a team, um, get playing for a bye, like what more could you want? Um, and I think the playoff mindset that, uh, Matt LaFleur has really been instilling in the team since basically since the game ended on Monday, um, you know, it's Christmas, enjoy a break, but you know, we're in the playoffs now. This is a playoff mentality. It's one and done. So the whole, you know, going one and oh each week has just, you know, risen to a new level. Certainly so, certainly so. Um, so with that, what is your prediction for this Packers Lions game in which the Packers are favored by twelve and a half points? Um, and how do you see this game going? I mean, I see this game as turning into a blowout. I really do. I really don't know how this game could could be close other than an absolutely ugly performance by the Green Bay Packers, which, whew, knock on wood, we don't want to see that. Um, so, I mean, I just, I see them just blowing the lines out of the water. Um, I think I'm kind of leaning towards, I'm 28 to 9. I think Packers are going to beat the spread, even though the spread's 12 and a half points. Um, but I do think they're going to have the under on, uh, looks like the betting pools are saying 43 points. I don't think we'll quite get to that in this game. Um, I think it's just going to be kind of a, a dog grinded out. I think Aaron Jones is going to get to his thousand yards. I could see Devontae Adams falling just a couple yards short because it's a grinded out kind of game. We're going to get a lead, burn the clock and get to the postseason. Very much so. 
what's your, oh yeah, you said your final score prediction of 28 to 9. Um, so with that, uh, what's my view on it? Um, I agree. I think it's going to be a game where the Lions are going to come out with a game plan. I think it's going to include running the ball a fair amount, and I think it will include some big shots to Kenny Galladay. But that being said, uh, I think the Packers' pass rush is going to have an effective day. Um, I think that will probably end up somewhere in the four to six sack range as a team for this game. Um, and I envision with uh, a third string quarterback in there, um, the potential for a couple interceptions. So um, I am going to say it'll be a four to six sack game and at least two interceptions. Um, so I think that will be a big turner to make it a blowout. I'm sure the Lions will have some big plays. Um, however, I think ultimately they're just too beat up. And that's kind of where the Packers team was at last year and the year before. It's kind of where the Lions are at this year. I do think Matt Patricia will be back next year. I think he's he's done well with this team. It's just been tough on an injury front. Um, however, a little bit of an off-season prediction here. I think the Lions are going to strongly consider drafting a quarterback um, and doing a a la Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre situation with letting him sit behind Matt Stafford for a couple years before uh, he takes over. So um, I think that's kind of where I see this game going. Uh, I think Zadarius Smith will get to 15 sacks, which he needs one and a half more. Um, And I think the final score will be... 35 to 10. Um, so there you go. Um, any last things you want to mention before we say goodbye to our fans and let them listen to this awesome podcast before the Lions game tomorrow? Well, we better wrap up so they have a chance to listen. Um, I think the only thing that I'm a little concerned about in this game is I think the Lions are going to come out with everything they got. I think we're going to see some trick plays. I think we're going to see some weird stuff on offense and defense and special teams. Um, but, you know, I like. I think overall it's not really going to work. I think the Packers are going to be ready for it. Um, but I think we're going to see them give us our best shot, and um, it'll be an interesting game. There you go. Well, from the land of cheese and spotted cow, we will wish you adieu. Uh, And with that, Packer Nation, go Pack Go, and let's go get that first round by. Because the North is not enough. The North is not enough. Cheers. Have a great holiday and a happy new year.